You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. So the young girl is sitting at the dining table and she's drawing a picture. And her mama comes to her and says, sweetie, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And her mom says to her, no way, you can't draw a picture of God because no one knows what he looks like. And she said, they will when I'm done. (laughs) What does God look like? I don't know. What if you had to describe God to someone who knew very little about him or knew nothing at all? There are things about God that kind of baffle my mind. Like people will say, well, where did we come from? And scientists sometimes will say, well, it was the big bang that happened. And I say, well, who caused the bang? Who was there before the bang went off? You know, you ever ask that question? And there's, of course, the statement, the statement of the, the original design or the original explanation to this original creation. And our answer could be really, really simple, that God has always been. But isn't that mind-boggling? Because we use watches. Some of us had to set ours back, hopefully, right? If people come in later on or at different times or actually early to the next service, just smile at them. It's all right. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, Or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are, come on, help me out. You are God. You are God. I'd like you to turn to the book of Isaiah if you have a Bible with you or your Bible app. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in front of you with really small font, by the way, sorry. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. That's uh, our gift to you today. But in Isaiah 40, we have this prophet, and what prophets did is they heard the voice of God to their heart, and they were God's mouthpiece to people that needed to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, Isaiah is what we call a major prophet. There are major prophets, and there are minor prophets, and minors aren't like junior prophets or like reserved prophets. They're they're actually real prophets. They just had less content. And there's nothing less about what they said. It's just that, that, that somebody like Isaiah was revered as one of the most profound prophets because he had a lot of content. And 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Isaiah is talking about him. That's, that, that's how, how fascinating the Bible is to me. That you could have someone hear from God 700 years before something happens and they could call it with succinct accuracy. Isaiah said, uh, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Could you, could you imagine that phrase? Because see, I went to health class. So I know where babies come from because Debbie and I had two babies. So we know. Just thought I'd tell you that. And all of a sudden, God speaks to Isaiah and says, Something so miraculous is going to happen that a virgin is going to conceive a child and we will call his name Emmanuel. That means God is with us. That God somehow from the heavens 
could come in the form of a son, Jesus, and be born. And John's gospel, the first chapter says, he lived among us. He stubbed his toe on the same ground that we walk on. He was persecuted. He went through struggles. He went through difficulties. But what I'd like you to see today, and if you have your notes uh, in your folder, you can get those out if you choose to write on there and uh, the notes or just draw pictures of what God looks like. It's up to you. But the first thing I want to say to you is that God is greater than our circumstances. We've been in a series about the greater than God. We talked about a God who's greater than our past, our hurt, our failures. We talked about a God who's greater than our disappointments, that we don't write our theology based on the acts of humanity. Let me, let me say it again. We, we, we don't write theology or believe a theology, a study of God based on how men or women, boys and girls treat us because we'd have a skewed theology of God if every time someone disappointed us or violated their promise or did evil around us, that we would all of a sudden say, well, God's not very big or God's not very good. And I will still say this. I said it in this series many times, that God gets the blame for all kinds of stuff that we do. And I'd like to raise my hand today and say, sorry, God. How many times have we said, what's wrong with you, God, when it was actually something that your creation did? And we'll talk about that in a second. So you have to understand that the circumstances that Isaiah was talking about were circumstances that the people of Israel were facing. There was hopelessness. There was destruction as the Babylonians were rising up in military power to wipe out the last remaining tribe. The northern tribe of Israel had already been abolished. Now the tribe called Judah, the nation of Judah, was coming up against Babylonians. And this is when Isaiah speaks this word. Boy, this is a timely word for some of us and for some of uh, people that are nervous today in our country. Here's what he says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. 700 years before the Lord comes. And make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley, low point, will be raised up. And every mountain or hill will be made low. In other words, there will be a level field, a level pathway. These are travelers. Every time they want to go from point A to point B, they heard that the straightest point and the shortest point between two distances is a straight line, but they could never find a straight line. Everything was go right to go left, go up to go down, go down to go up. And Isaiah is prophesying that when the Lord comes, he will make everything level. And the glory of the Lord will be what? Revealed. And all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Here's what God is up to, and you might want to write this down. God's plans and purposes are always greater than ours. Always greater than ours. Uh, man thinks, God does. Man plans, and God laughs. Come on. Come on, Lord, next year, this is what I'm going to do, and God's laughing, you know? 
And 700 years after this prophecy is given, a guy by the name of John the Baptist, he's a front runner for Jesus. Actually, one time they thought John the Baptist was Jesus. And they said, are you the Messiah? And, and he says, and I just love this phrase, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals because the one coming after me is greater than I. I must decrease because he was very popular so that God might increase. And he says, this is John the Baptist in Luke's gospel, Luke 3, 4, and 6, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, and every valley shall be what? Filled in, and every mountain made low, and the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. Isn't this interesting? 700 years after Isaiah speaks for God, John the Baptist went to Sunday school, he knew the words of the prophet Isaiah, and he quotes them to the people of their day. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he said, I have come to fulfill the law. Did you know there was over 660 Hebrew laws? How would you like to keep all those? We, we have trouble with Ten Commandments. <laughs> and, and it was 660 laws, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what women could wear, what they couldn't wear. I mean, it's you, you name it, it's there. There's stuff about everything in there. And then here's what Jesus says. I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And to summarize it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And get this one, love your, oh, your neighbor as yourself. By the way, that's the catalyst behind what we do in our community. We don't serve so God would notice us. He already notices us. The God of the universe notices every one of us. Matter of fact, something brilliant to think about is right now while I'm preaching, there are hundreds of other preachers preaching, thousands of other preachers preaching. They're all better than me and that's okay. But they're all preaching in different languages. You know, while some of us were praying this morning, there were other people in Europe and in Asia. There, there were people in Rome. There were people in Afghanistan. And they were praying. Some were even whispering their prayers, and God heard every one of them. Does that boggle your mind? I know some of you are multitaskers. God bless you. You can do five things at once. Some of you can have 10 conversations at one time. You're brilliant. God can have seven billion conversations at one time. How often do we think we're God? This week I had the honor and privilege of providing the invocation at our city council meeting, and, and I'm so great that our leadership allows prayer to happen before the meeting. Some cities have abolished it. I, I'm grateful for ours. I respect that. And my opening line in the prayer was, you are God and we are not. <laughs> and there was a lady after uh, there was some promotions happening with the police department. And there was this lady afterwards that grabbed me in the back. I mean, the chambers were full. There were a lot of issues they wanted to talk about that night. And people were interested and that's good. And she grabbed my hand. She said, that was a good prayer. Now, you, you, you know about humanity, right? Human beings are the only animal on the planet you pat our back and our head swells. 
And there I was, big-headed, <laughs> and she, she grabbed my hand. And so, foolishly, I asked, what part of the prayer did you like the, the most? And she said, the one where you said, we're not God. <laughs> and she said, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? And I said, yes, it is. And I said, by the way, thank you. But there are things in me that are lowercase g too, where I, I think I know more, where I think I'm greater than he is. And so I said, I wasn't coming here to condemn anybody or challenge anybody because that prayer, ma'am, comes right back at me. And she said these words, remember, you're not God. <laughs> I said, thank you. You see, there is a God, and he is not us. Before and after Jesus, salvation comes only through faith in a God who loves us and is just, and he's willing to forgive if only we would turn to him. See, before Jesus comes, people had a salvation that was allowed them by trusting in God and believing for salvation to come. But after Jesus comes and dies on the cross and sheds his blood for our sin and rises again from the dead, that's where we now believe in him. Remember the verse, for God so loved this world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him would not, what? Perish but have everlasting life. And the Lord has spoken it. So we don't serve to somehow get God's attention. We already have his attention. We don't serve to be saved. We serve because we are saved. We, we serve because we've already received his grace and his mercy and his love. Isaiah 40 verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The word glory is the word heavy. It means something that weighs a lot. There's a heaviness about his glory. There's a weightiness. You ever heard this old phrase, that was a weighty matter? It was something to ponder. It was a circumstance we were going through. It was heavy on us. And the glory of the Lord is a weighty thing. In other words, there's substance to God. It's not just smoke and mirrors and, and, and foam and falderall. This is a God who is powerful. And as I said last week in our message, wait, there's more. You remember that? Wait, there's more. It was through Jesus that he imagined a kingdom where everyone would be included. That the most imaginative person on the planet at that time, of course, and ever, Jesus Christ, would come and speak of a brand new kingdom where he would be king. You see, when Jesus was on his way, and when he was born in Bethlehem, which we celebrate as Christmas, people believed he would rescue them from Roman rule, from the government. He would change their economy. But he came to do more than temporal things. He came to establish a kingdom where the first are last and the weak are made strong and outsiders become insiders and people whose lives were lost for him would be found and people that were sinners would be saved. And, and here's the beauty. As the king of the kingdom, he decides to die for everyone who'd ever be a part of his kingdom. I think that's incredible. Kings want to be served. Leaders want to be served. 
And the greatest servant leader of all was Jesus who said, I will give my life for you. Isaiah was prophesying about a big picture that sometimes we can miss. See, sometimes we get overwhelmed with our current circumstances because we are completely forgetting the big picture. I know we use this phrase a lot. You got this? You know, I, I get that. It's a nice, nice phrase. It's like the little kid standing in the batter's box. His parents are all yelling. You got this. Grandma's yelling, you got this, strike one. Here, you got this, strike two. You really got this, kid, huh? Strike two, you're out. You got nothing. Except some big league chew in your mouth that after three chews is gone. Huh? No, God has this. And if you are in God, then God has you. He holds you in the palm of his hand. He's writing a story, and you're one of the main characters. That's nice. You see, would you consider with me three stories, three levels of story in Scripture? The first one, quickly, is the specific stories of specific people. The nation of Israel, you know? Specific people. How about Abraham? How about Isaac? Stories about Jacob. Stories about great, great people like Daniel. Or stories about Joseph, who was sold into slavery and became a leader in the palace. And then how about Judas as a carrier? Come on. Well, we learn a lot from those stories. And we also learn number two story of God's people, like the nation of Israel, Old Testament, and New Testament, the church. We learn a lot. But the third part of the story is God's story. And there's an upper story, the heavenly story, and there's a lower story, the earthly story. That's on the bottom shelf. And sometimes we can get so focused on the lower story that we forget the upper story. Remember the Lord's Prayer? May your will be done on lower story, on earth as it is in heaven, upper story. God's sitting at his drafting table. He doesn't use CAD. He still draws. And he's able to, to draw your life out. Plans and purposes and fulfillment for you. The second thing is, is God is greater than what we create. That's our idols. And I'll try to go fast because I want to get you to pancakes, which could be an idol too. We got to be careful. America's big on idols. We had a TV show that recently had its last season, American Idol. That's something. They didn't call it the voice, like come and sing. America's got talent. American Idol. Interesting. We idolize things that God made for us. Notice in Isaiah 40, verse 18 to 20, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? For an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashioned silver chains in it. They look for the skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. You know why? Because they had idols that fell off the pedestal. I think God blew on it and it fell off. We need something that's strong that we can worship. And, and Paul says to the Corinthians church, I can't believe that you guys, that you guys speak to deaf idols, mute idols that can't talk back. You know how many people, I'm telling you, people like, like you and me, stopped and worshiped things like golden calves? <laughs> or they worshiped homes, 
or, or, they, or they worship money and treasure. And Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where we'll find your heart. That's where we'll find your allegiance. Nothing wrong with having stuff, but when your stuff has you, you got a problem. We don't manage our stuff, but our stuff manages us. We have an issue. Someone has said, what God gave us as good, we have turned into our gods. We started worshiping things. Our idols are whatever we go to for our salvation. Our idols are whatever we go to for comfort or when we're anxious or when we're overwhelmed or when we're nervous. See, if Jesus is at the center of our heart, if the Bible is at the center of our heart, if the Holy Spirit is at the center of our heart, then we can cling to him in all things. Number three, God is greater than his creation. You are not God, nor am I. That's good news. You are really glad I'm not God because I would foul up your life. Huh? I wouldn't even make a good pope. Just thought I'd say that. Isaiah 40, verse 6 and 8. And I love this passage. It says, all people are like what? Grass, not weed. You guys are slow. Come on. <laughs> not weed or anything on the ballot. Um, and all their faithfulness is like what? See, on the best day, on the best day, your life is like grass. That someday will wither like a flower that's beautiful in the field, a wildflower, and eventually it dies out. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of, come on, God endures. Hmm. When he says, I love you with an everlasting love, that cannot be changed by your performance. His love and loyalty towards you and his power towards your life is not predicated on your performance. I was good today, Lord, so he loves you. I know lots of people in our community, some very educated people in our community that only believe God loves them when they're good. I am so glad because I'm not always good. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to raise all, you know? There's days I'm not good, and I can just say, oh, God, I a bad thought. Or I want to cut somebody off on A Street. This guy runs a stop sign at College Street, goes right in front of me, and I wanted to run him off the road. I had a bad thought. Lord, may the bird of paradise poop on his parade. I mean, come on. <laughs> and I finally caught up with him, and you'll never guess what his license frame said. People matter to God. Lawful Forsworth Church. If you got, if you got a... If you got to put one of those free license frames on your car, get one of the guest services, but drive nice, please. And don't cut the pastor off. Come on. And the feelings I was having in that nanosecond of time, God could have opened up the earth and swallowed me alive. Aren't you glad his grace is greater than all of our sin and your driving? Come on. The word of the Lord. God says, I love you with an everlasting love. For those who believe in my son, Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. Everla you'll, you'll have everlasting life. Nothing can stop that if he spoke it. I'm sorry, I'm excited. You know, I love, I love, I, I love my kids. I just got to tell you, I love my grandkids. I, I just, I do. They're the best, greatest, most beautiful grandkids in the world. You can disagree with me and be wrong. Well, mine are better, Pastor. Well, you're, you're wrong. 
but we hurt ourselves and others when we move people into the center of our lives. And I know some of you are going to go, what? Well, people are to be cherished, but not to ever be the center of our lives. That, that place is reserved for God. And you're like, oh, pastor, I don't get it. Well, listen, if you make your life all about grandpa and grandpa dies, now what happens to your life? If you make your life all about your kids and your kids disobey you, then what happens to the center of your universe? Now, don't get me wrong. Love your kids. I know some of you are already going, oh, man, if I had another hour, I would explain this to you deeply, but you're smart. I mean, love your kids. Cherish your kids. Make every moment with your family important. I get that. Be present when you're with them. Yes, amen, amen, amen. But at the end of time, it will not be your family that will save you. Sorry. At the end of time, it will not be the fact that, you know, I, I come from a long line of Jewish people, and so I'm already God's chosen, the nation of Israel, and I'm saved. I'm twice chosen. And, and those who give their life to Christ are actually called saints, like you're saying all the saints join in, right? And, and my name is Bernard, so I'm St. Bernard, and I don't need to say any more. But surely the nations, verse 15, are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as, oh, next verse, sorry, regarded as dust. They're regarded as dust. Dust on the scales. All we are is dust in the wind. <laughs> dust in the wind. Come on. Our, oh, well, you're, eight o'clock was singing. All we are is dust in we, okay, that's it. It's not that good. <laughs> he weighs the islands as though they're fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient. Lebanon was most powerful, and, and the cedars of Lebanon, the trees that were there, there's not enough trees for the altar sacrifices, for all the sins of humanity, not enough animals for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing they are regarded as worthless and less than nothing. With whom shall you compare God to? And then he says, verse 25 to 28, the Holy One says, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal? And the Hebrew text reads this way, a picture of a scale like this, right? And here's God on this side of the scale, right? And the Hebrew text reads this way, who is worthy to step on the other side? I know, we'll put America there. It ain't, it ain't moving the other side of the scale. We'll take all the gold in Fort Knox, if there is any. <laughs> and it's not moving. And then it reads this way in the Hebrew text. Who is worthy to step into the scale Who's worthy to lift their hand among a congregation to say, who would like to try to be measured against God? And, 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 and only, basically, in Hebrew law, only the fool would say, I'll try it. Because I heard it confirmed. City council must be true, city hall. You're not God. You're not God. And that's where my life comes and surrender to him that he's greater than my circumstances. He's greater than all things. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Not one star is missing from its spot. 
Why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. He's telling people of Israel, have you forgotten how much God loved you? Did you forgot he parted the Red Sea so you could cross through it? Have you forgotten he supplied you with manna from heaven, food from the sky? Have you forgotten all the good things that God has done for you? How could we not say he's greater than our circumstances? He's greater than our creation. Have you ever looked at a starry cluster? Have you ever seen the stars in the sky? Hubble Telescope has this incredible, incredible website where you can see the, the starry host. I know we have a couple shots up there um, somewhere. There's one. Yeah. These are galaxies. These aren't just stars. These are, these are galaxies that God created. And there are things now that we are discovering that God made. And listen, for thousands of years, no one has even seen it. But God is so magnificent, he had to create all this beautiful stuff. All of those dots, is, little dots there, uh, are their own universes. Isn't that amazing? Um, by the way, planet Earth, if it could be a dot on that screen, it's too small to be seen. I know we think we're big stuff. Too small to be seen. Do you know that according, according to... Uh, Fraser Kane, not Fraser Crane, that's a different person. <laughs> Universe Today, he said there are five to ten times more stars than there are grains of sand on all the world's beaches. Come on. You ever watch a baby being born? You ever looked out in the stars at night? Louis Giglio said this. He's the guy that wrote Indescribable, you know. You hold the stars in your hand, right? And you know them by name. You are amazing God, right? Sorry for that. If the universe is simply a habitation for you and me, then it's way too oversized. But what if the primary purpose is to show the splendor and the majesty and the greatness and the glory of the God who created? If it's true, then the universe is not big enough to show the majesty of God that's greater than all things we know and see. I believe that in hundreds of years from now, if there's still life on this planet, and Jesus hasn't come back to earth yet, if there's life, we're going to discover stuff we have no clue about. We're going to go deeper into the oceans. We're going to go farther into the galaxies. And we're going to say, are you kidding me? God made all this so that no matter what time frame people live in, they would keep discovering more and more and more of his greatness. I'm going to end with this verse, Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. <clears throat> See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. Isn't that good? We think about the power of God, but then he tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers the lambs in his arms. Don't miss that picture. This is the God who spoke light into existence. This is the God who breathed into a little mound of dirt with two holes in it, and it became a human being. I know some of you think you're amazing, but go home and try that today, will you? <laughs> this is not cloning from something. Somebody said, oh, we cloned something. How do you think they cloned it? They started with what God made first. Come on. This is the God who can do all of that, and yet he gently leads those that even have young, a picture of 
of taking the, the young lambs and caring for them. God will care for you. I pray you feel that closeness with him. Now, I know some of you are freaking out because there's a fill-in on the bottom, and you're going, we didn't get to it. <coughs> so let's get to it, the fill-in on the bottom. I place my hope in, and I'm not telling you. No, that's for you to answer. Where do you place your hope the most? In yourself? You're not God. Where do you place the hope, your hope the most? In governments? In leaders? In rulers? In the church? No. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Here's a challenge question for you. Where do you place your hope? Every once in a while, I wake up in the morning and I ask this question of myself. Who will I hope in today? Where will I trust today? No matter what I face today, who am I going to believe is greater than all that I face? If you don't know the Lord, I pray you open your life to him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray that you say, Jesus, become my Lord. The Bible said it so succinctly, if we believe in our heart that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, we get to be saved. And he opens up this door from heaven for us where we now have a way to get to God. And we believe he is the truth. He is the life. And he's the light who's greater than all we face. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.